Welcome back. This is the Guidehouse Transportation Insights Podcast for April 28th, 2022. I'm Sam Abu-Al-Samad from the transportation team at Guidehouse Insights, and I'm joined again today by my colleagues Joe Janata, Scott Shepard, and Saji Evbanata. And um, let's kick it off today with Joe. Joe, what's been going on in, going on in your area of coverage? Uh, so something I came across the other day was uh, Zip Charge's new GoHub product. Um, so Zip Charge is a relatively new company. Um, they were founded in September of last year. Um, they plan on offering portable charge packs with an attached battery. Um, they look a lot like a suitcase. Their two packs are... Um, they have one 50 pound one that offers um, 12 to 20 miles of uh, range, depending on your vehicle's efficiency. And that's on a 30 minute charge. And they have a larger pack with um, an unannounced weight that offers 25 to 40 miles um, on an hour long charge. They market it as an at home charging solution, as well as an at work and on the go solution. I kind of struggled to see the at-home use case because if you can charge up your portable pack at home, you can probably charge up your vehicle. Um, but beyond that, there's definitely a use case for having a portable pack um, in the back of your car if you need um, that extra charge while you're on the go throughout the day. Um, and I think it could be especially useful on a longer uh, road trip, having an emergency pack if you're not sure when you'll be able to get that next charge. Um, or if you need to take a detour and miss a charging station you'd planned out along your route. One issue with that is, if, especially if you have that smaller pack, the 12 to 20 mile range might not really get you to where you need to go, especially if you don't have the most efficient electric vehicle. Um, and recently they announced their GoHub um, charging hubs. They contain um, a dozen or so charging of the charging packs. Um, in a container through an app, you can reserve, um, a pack when you're inbound to whatever lot you may be going to. I think this makes the most sense because you don't need to lug around that 50 pound charge pack and worry about charging it up at home while you're probably already worried about charging up your vehicle overnight. Um, so you can run to the store, do your shopping while your vehicle's charging on the pack outside. It also removes the need to, um, reserve parking spots and build out a larger infrastructure um, of chargers, uh, which some some lots, it might be tricky to get that infrastructure in there. Um, and it also r- removes the need to lug around that 50-pound pack or that larger pack, which is probably a, a, a significantly more than 50 pounds. Um, so I think this technology could ease a lot of that um, hesitancy um, driven by range and charge anxiety. Um, I think there's a long way to go with the technology, making the pack a little lighter, maybe increasing some of the um, charge rates. But I think it it's a move in the right direction and certainly solves some of the issues with vehicle charging. So it sounds like this is basically a, a supersized version of the, the battery packs that we carry around in our backpacks for our phones when we go to conferences and stuff. Is that, is that right? Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good way to put it. It looks a lot like a suitcase and it can slide in the back of your trunk pretty easily. Um, yeah. So, um, I, I like the idea of, of having a, a rack of these, you know, in a, in a parking garage or a parking lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't, uh, necessarily have to go to a specific parking space, 
um, you know, to, to charge up, you know, if you're going to be somewhere for an hour or two, uh, just put in, you know, put in your card and get one of these, these things out of there and then go hook it up to your, your EV, uh, wherever you happen to be parked. Um, have they given any indication of when these are going to be available and, and how much they're going to co- uh, cost? Um, you can pre-order them now. Um, but other than that, there's not a ton of details out yet. Okay. Anything uh, from you guys? Yeah. It, it, uh, just looking at the, um, some of the announcements on it, it looks like, uh, you know, the, the go hub, uh, where, Theoretically, you could pick these up. Um, it looks uh, it looks like they're they're thinking about integrating solar on the awnings over the the, the hub, as well as potentially some wind generation or small wind. I, I guess I'd call it. Um, seems pretty interesting uh, as a way to make deployment much easier of Go Hubs around various locations Um, because I can see, you know, there's being a challenge of one um, just starting up the business model, but also deploying the stations to an area that would be easily addressable, like to a parking lot or to a parking garage. Um, It says the go hub is probably uh, has about a hundred kilowatt hours of, of batteries though. So it'd be probably interesting to see if there is, you know what the what the energy needs of these go hub stations would be relative to EV consumer demands, but at this point, Joe, it's it's really just beginning stages, conceptual. Yeah, it's uh, pretty conceptual right now, beginning stages. But I think a big uh, argument for it is you don't need to build out as much infrastructure as like you see with voltage chargers, where you need to install you know a dozen chargers and set up the um, cabling for that. Um, so I think that removes a lot of this need, especially if you're going to hook it up to solar panels or wind, if that makes sense in the whatever the case may be. Um, so I think that's a definitely an argument for this technology. You could also have these hubs uh, curbside, you know, for street parking, you know, meet where you've got metered parking. Um, you know, put one of these <clears throat> right next to where you've got the the machine. You know, where you can go and pay for your pay for your parking. Put it. Put one of these hubs next to it, and then if somebody needs to uh, charge, it, you're right. It would be it would be a lot easier to put one of those on a block than to you know set up a whole bunch of uh, of um, charge points along that block. Uh, just doing from an infrastructure standpoint. Yeah, and it's, it doesn't limit the parking availability for uh, traditional combustion mm-hmm. engine vehicles. Yeah. I guess an additional uh, sort of thought I have is that um, this uh, is it, based in UK, right? This is a UK company? Yes. Yep. Yeah. But there have been um, a lot of charging companies in the UK kind of focused around these charging solutions that can help solve the curbside charging because parking is a bit of a, a constraint uh, in in England and, and elsewhere in Europe. You know, things like chargers that sink into the pavement and then pop up when you need them, things like that. Uh, Saji, I'm wondering if you have any on-the-ground <laughs> thoughts on viability of, of this versus yeah. some of those other ideas. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to kind of look at a couple of articles about, about the, these power banks. Um, I, I can see that it costs something like 
one pounds for a four kilowatt charge. Um, that's probably if you get it for the hub. But I think it's interesting that you mentioned um, a use case would be potentially for home charging. And um, I mean, perhaps if it, I'm, I'm not quite sure what the charging speed is from these uh, these power packs, but it, it could be the benefit that you could charge up your, your vehicle quite quickly in an emergency if you just need to, to have a quick top up um, after charging the, the power pack in your house. I, I think that could be one um, use case uh, for, for home usage. Um, and yeah, I think as Scott said, yeah, there, there is a big, there seems to be a big emphasis in, in the UK, especially in cities like London, where there's very little um, off-street parking and, and home charging. Um, and, um, and yeah, those pop-up bollards or, or, or lamppost chargers are quite popular. And this could be something quite, yeah, an additional helpful um, solution for, for topping up your car. Um, I, I'm not quite sure how this works in practice, but uh, I, I'm not sure if there's some kind of a, a theft risk of, of having something like that out out on the street, uh, which I can imagine being a problem in in London. Um, but um, but yeah, it certainly seems interesting and something helpful for people in in um, in yeah densely populated UK cities. Yeah, when you when you uh, when you uh, lock an EV, um, the um, charge connector is locked into place. So yeah. you can't unhook the cable uh, when the when the vehicle's locked. Uh, so you know if you've got this thing uh, hooked up to your car, you know unless somebody wants to cut through that charging cable, uh, mm. they're you know it's they're not going to go anywhere with it. You know it's gonna it's gonna stay there as long as your car is locked. Um, and <clears throat> another you know great uh, use case for this you know would be for roadside assistance uh, vehicles. Uh, you know instead of or you know in, in addition to carrying around. Uh, a jerry can with a couple of gallons of petrol, uh, you know, carry one or two of these in the vehicle as well. So that if somebody, you know, does run out of juice on the, on the highway or runs out of juice, you know, a few miles from a charging station, you can pop over, you know, give them one of these and hook it up and, uh, uh, and then they can be on their way again, uh, within a few, within, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, probably. All right. Uh, let's move on to Scott. What have you got this week? Yeah, so I guess uh, keeping uh, keeping on theme here, talking about innovative approaches to charging infrastructure for EVs. Um, a major battery supplier uh, based in China, CATL. They're they're the biggest. Um, they supply uh, brands like Tesla and, and Neo. Um, a, a couple months back, they announced that they were going to create a battery swapping business in, in China um, called EVOGO. Or e- I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but EVOGO is how, is how it's spelled. Um, and uh, the, the difference between this announcement and, and prior battery swapping announcements in China, of which there have been many, uh, over the last two years or so, is that unlike most of those other announcements, CATL um, chose to go down the path of module battery swapping, which is an approach that um, is really pioneered by Ample, based in uh, the United States, and, and is, is unique because you're swapping out uh, battery modules into somewhat of a plate that then attaches to a vehicle. And 
that modularized uh, approach, um, you know, there are, there are some disadvantages to it. There are some advantages to it. One of the advantages is that theoretically you can partner with automakers and make your modules fit into um, structures that then fit into a variety of different vehicles rather than having the automaker have to adopt a specific uh, battery pack. Um, they can adopt more, your battery modules can, can better fit into a wide variety of, of vehicle fits <clears throat> effectively. And so in this regard, um, as I said, Ample and CATL are the, really the only ones to date that at least I have identified um, pursuing this approach. And uh, as of uh, last week, um, CATL announced that they uh, have deployed some of these battery swap stations in Xiamen uh, uh, or, or Xiamen, China, uh, and for these swap stations to be specific. And they have also partnered with an automaker, um, FAW, with their Bestoon brand uh, to roll out EVs that are compatible with these stations. In some of the other announcements, um, uh, as well as, as this announcement, they've indicated that they are partnering with more than one automaker and that they have partners, so it's plural. Um, but I haven't been able to identify which other uh, auto automakers in China have partnered with CATL. But given the company's position as a battery supplier, uh, I would expect that uh, there are, are quite a few companies, at least in China, that are, um, are, are potential partners here for further rollout. Um, yeah. So um, I know CHL, I think, is number one globally in terms of uh, batteries. Uh, they're, they're the largest supplier of EV batteries globally. Um, and with, I guess, how does, they, how, how does the business model work um, as far as the, the vehicle side of this goes? You mentioned that they're partnering with FAW. Um, would, uh, would, uh, would, are automakers planning to offer this? as a consumer option or, um, or are they really targeting fleets with this, uh, that, that need minimal downtime? And so, you know, if a consumer went in and wanted to buy an, an FAW EV as an example, could they get it with a standard battery pack, um, that has maximum capacity or opt for this, um, this pack that supports the CATL modules? Um, so I guess, I, have they given any indication of how that'll work? Yeah. So the, I guess the direction of pretty much everybody, but Neo has been towards fleets, um, fleets of car share vehicles or of, uh, ride hailing vehicles or taxis. Um, that, that has been the, the thrust of most battery swap deployments. Neo stands apart. They deployed it for the passenger car market and, and they've been expanding that model. Um, uh, and tangential to that, they've also offered uh, sort of nuanced um, pricing schemes for customers, and they've just sort of adapted some of their pricing schemes to allow for customers to to sort of buy themselves out of the of the battery as a service model they pioneered um, with the Neo swap stations. 
Um, but besides that, uh, it, it appears that CATL's uh, partnership is uh, at least initially for mobility services or, or fleet vehicles. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. And um, in terms of, there is a little bit of, of information on the pricing. Um, uh, so for uh, EV OGO's uh, service, they describe their, their battery modules as, or they're called uh, Chaco SEB blocks. Um, and you can rent one of those for uh, the equivalent of $62 per month. Um, <clears throat> and uh, their estimates are that in China, that is uh, nearly the same as uh, going from, from zero to 100 for a DC fast charge. That's, that's a pretty, pretty reasonable price. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any, any other thoughts, Joe, Saji? You're muted, Saji. Yeah. Hey, sorry. Um, yes. Yeah, so, sorry. Um, what did you say, Scott, was the, the, the capacity of, of, of each of these mo individual modules? That is a good question. Um, I, I don't know offhand. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know offhand. I know. I'll, I'll have to get back to you on that. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's the long and short. <laughs> you know, yeah. typically the the EV industry is is moving towards uh, a, pretty much like a sixty kilowatt hour battery as as your baseline. Um, so. I would uh, estimate that one of these modules carries that um, or around that. And uh, I don't know exactly how many modules make up uh, the whole system. But yeah, ultimately, um, I would bet that the, uh, the various module designs are, are probably averaging around 60 kilowatt hour battery pack. Yeah, I, I guess I was, I was wondering in, in that case um, if you could have a vehicle that was designed to have that, that could take multiple modules and then have quite a large. Um, you know, you're paying a premium to get that additional range from from that bigger battery pack. Right. Yeah, and and I, and I think that's true, or that's what modularity gives you the capability of doing is is having a more um, dynamic pricing structure. Um, mm -hmm. There is a complication. Um, and this is one of the disadvantages of that modular approach in that um, by having a modular swap system, you are likely to, to, to lose some of the volume that's available for battery cells. Uh, whereas if you're doing a more unified approach uh, uh, <clears throat> wherein you're swapping out the full pack, you're likely to maximize the, the volume that the pack gives you for, for battery cells, for energy. Now, of course, the same can be tr said of um, battery swapping versus vehicles that are uh, truly maximizing all the space and therefore might not be battery swap capable in that their uh, batteries would be more, more so built into the structure of the vehicle itself. Yeah, um, this is one of the, uh, the, the trends that we're actually seeing in, in the industry right now is this shift towards uh, so-called CELTA-PAC or structural pack designs uh, because current current battery packs, EV battery packs that are that 
do are comprised of modules typically only have uh, a fill ratio of somewhere around 30, 30 to 35%. So the volume of the pack that is actually comprised of active cells is basically about one third of the pack. The rest is consumed by the structure of the modules, the rest of the structure in the pack. Um, and I know from conversations I've had with, uh, for example, uh, our next energy, uh, they're a battery startup here in Michigan, um, that is doing cell to pack designs, um, with just, uh, just going to a cell to pack, uh, they're able to get that fill ratio of active material in the pack up to about 75, 70, 75% uh, of the pack volume. So, you know, with something like this, where you have to incorporate additional um, vault, you have to take account for additional volume, you know, for the connections and everything for, for these modules, that fill ratio is probably likely to be less than 30%. Um, and uh, just looking at uh, something about an ample, you know, their, their modules are relatively small the the leaf uh a car like the leaf you will take about 10 modules uh, for that so that's those modules then you know assuming uh you know it, it, they're probably no more than about four kilowatt hours each for capacity um i don't know if, if catl is giving any indication of the size of their modules how many would go into a vehicle yeah yeah i haven't been able to find that but it is it is an interesting sort of trade-off. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the the modularity of, of the module approach um, theoretically uh, gets over a lot of, or, or some standardization issues or, or complications for battery swapping, but it does diminish the available energy capacity a battery swap capable vehicle would likely be able to use. And yeah, it'll be... It, it it's one of the the bigger questions I have of which approach in battery swapping is going to be going to be the one that um, becomes dominant. Yeah, I think you know for a lot of uh, a lot of use cases, you know, especially fleet type vehicles, whether it's car share, ride hailing, um, or delivery vehicles, you know, most of the time, you know, in, in most cases, those vehicles don't necessarily need 300 miles of range. You know, they're, they're, they're generally operating around an urban or suburban area. Um, and having minimal downtime is, for them is more important than maximum range. So you know, if it's got, if you can have a range of a hundred miles, but, and you can swap out modules in a couple of minutes, that is more useful uh, for, for that type of use case, that type of vehicle than, having, you know, that maximum fill ratio in 300 or 400 mile range. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I can even, even see that with, um, upcoming battery innovations in terms of energy density or, or improvement, the, the module approach might be more, uh, more easy to integrate in battery energy density improvements, uh, to the existing platform than if you were to try and do that through um, more of the battery pack swappable uh, um, approach, just because your modules are, are in my mind, theoretically a little bit more um, swappable uh, in terms of production processes than your, your full battery packs. 
Great. All right. Thanks, Scott. Saji, what have you got? Hi. So, yeah, I thought I'd talk about uh, an yeah, um, uh, interesting um, article or um, announcement, which um, will be a good discussion uh, discussion point um, regarding uh, regarding Tesla. So, um, this, just following on from there, early this month they had their um, their Cyber Rodeo event, and uh, I, I think what I found an interesting topic or, um, that was mentioned is. Um, the, the proposed launch of a, of a dedicated um, robo taxi um, by Elon Musk. Um, so, um, so yeah, this is this is part of their big event, and they they had yeah uh, various announcements. They um, ran their robots, and um, they had this big drone display, which was quite impressive. But um, I, I thought what was quite interesting is um, yeah, he specifically called out um, having a, a dedicated. Uh, robot taxi design. Um, now, um, he, he mentioned that um, yeah, it, it may not have like pedals or, or, or steering. And um, I, I think the key selling point is that um, he, he he made some claims of, of very low um, uh, cost cost per mile in terms of of, of using these uh, robot taxi services. Um, in fact, he was saying it's going to be substantially cheaper than um, uh, public transportation. Um, so there was no um, actual yeah, images or prototypes or details given on, on the, the proposed vehicles yet, um, and not too much talk about the technology, which I think is a, a, another interesting point. Um, so, for example, around the scent, what, what kind of sensors are, are going to be um, installed in the vehicle? Um, because, um, yeah, as you may know, Tesla are, are, are very much focused on uh, vision-based systems um, using their cameras. Um, but I, I suspect that you know that they're, they're probably um, considering the use of, of other sensors, whether it be lidar or, or, or so on, um, for a, a more robust uh, solution for for a, for a robust taxi service. Um, there was no um, not, not much talk specifically when it be launched, but um, he did say something like uh, by the end of, of twenty twenty four, which which sounds yeah pretty pretty near. Um, so that they must have done quite some work in, in developing it. Um, and I, I think, you know, one of the, you know, the very interesting points here is, you know, in the past, uh, Tesla or Elon has, has, um, uh, has made some promises around um, the deployment of, of robo-taxis, but very much different. So he was talking about having a robo-taxi fleet based on consumer vehicles that would have um, some kind of uh, a, a robo-taxi function if you had the full... Uh, driving uh, the full self-driving uh uh module paid for so um so so i think it's quite interesting that he's, he's kind of that they've they've kind of uh, they've kind of kept quiet about that that previous uh rubber taxi promise but um it probably seems that they've, they've come to realize that probably the, the the most uh uh viable commercial way of of having rubber taxis is going to be through having a um a robot taxi service with dedicated vehicles rather than just conventional passenger vehicles, which uh, which drive around whilst they're, they're not being utilized by, by the owner. So, um, so yeah, I thought it was an interesting topic, particularly for, for, for that, that change of tax. And um, I, I think it'd be interesting to, to, to know more about um, what kind of sensors and technology they, they're intended to use for, for these vehicles, seeing that they're, they're potentially coming so soon. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I thought it was fascinating when he first mentioned that. I think on their uh, during their uh, Q1 earnings call or their 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 fourth quarter earnings call, actually. I think yeah, in January uh, or 
perhaps maybe it was when they did their plant opening in uh, Germany. But uh, and then he brought it up again with a little more information uh, during the event at their Austin when they opened their Austin plant. Um, I think this shift to a, building a dedicated robo taxi is is an interesting one because outside of Tesla and its hardcore fans. Um, virtually no one that I know of actually believes that you can do true highly automated driving uh, or, or a safe, robust, highly automated driving system with cameras alone. Um, everybody thinks you need multiple sensors, and, and I, I agree with that. Um, and in order to actually deliver something that resembling full self-driving capability, um, you know, I think that, that Tesla will ultimately have to make that switch. But, um, you know, that's would not be viable for them to do with their existing consumer fleet because they they would have to go back and retrofit, you know, a million and a half vehicles um, with added sensors. Um, But by making the switch to a dedicated vehicle like this, they, you know, they could say, okay, for this vehicle, we are going to incorporate radar and and LIDAR as, as part of the sensor suite. Um, and go ahead and deploy those. And they they actually, um, when they first uh, announced the boring company plans uh, in Las Vegas to build the, the tunnel under the Las Vegas Convention Center, back then they did show renders of uh, you know a robo-taxi-like vehicle that was supposed to be the vehicle running through that tunnel. Um, ultimately, they, they never built that. They're just using conventional Model 3s. Uh, to go back and forth from one end of the convention center to the other, uh, so I, I would expect that you know it'll probably look something like that, which is not dramatically different from other uh, robo taxi dedicated robo taxi vehicles we've seen. You know, essentially a box with a bunch of seats in it. Uh, so it's I think it's interesting that they're hinting at this pivot now, and you know someday we may even see it become a reality. Yeah, I I, I think he, he's also dropped a, hap- a couple of hints that. Actually, he's you know, that they've been finding a lot harder than expected in in, in, in developing a full self driving based on the uh, uh, the technology that they the sensor they've got in the vehicles on the road at the moment. So, um, well, ba- yeah. based on the videos that uh, testers have been posting, you know, watching those videos and seeing some of the uh, crazy things that these vehicles do, uh, uh, yeah, they're they're nowhere near ready to to deliver anything that actually qualifies as truly self-driving yeah and 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 certainly not for a robot taxi service i, I think it, it, no. it, it, it sounds <laughs> uh very premature at this stage yeah. yeah given how long some of the companies in this space have been developing the suite of sensor capabilities for automated vehicles is it gonna take a while for tesla to catch up via this pivot or i, I guess what what should be expected of of Tesla when they say this um, that they're making this pivot? How, what does it mean in terms of time? Yeah, good question. I, I think yeah, obviously the, the, the twenty twenty four date that they've they've men- they've, they've mentioned um, sounds quite optimistic, and and of course in the past they've uh, um, kind of over promised in terms of of, of uh, being able to deliver. Certain products or features, like the one million robo taxis they said they would have on the road by the end of twenty twenty. Yeah, I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> still waiting for that. So, um, so, so, firstly, yes, it, it, it may that may be a very stretchable, flexible uh, uh, timeline. But um, 
but yeah, I, I think that if they've been, you know, from what we understand, they've been really honing on, in on using the the, the cameras um, for, for self-driving sensors. Um, there must be a fair amount of catch-up required when, when you know starting to, to, to utilize lidar, for example, um, and to uh, incorporate it into their you know, their you know, with, uh, merge it with all the other data sources that they're, they're already using. So, um, I'm, 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 my, my feeling is that it will be a bit a bit further ahead than 2024, um, and yeah, I think that, that there will be a bit of a catch-up with those who are focused on dedicated robot taxis. For for what it's worth, um, you know, Tesla actually has done testing of vehicles with lidar. Um, they've they've got some test vehicles out running around with luminar lidar sensors on them. Um, you know, most likely what they've been doing is using those just for um, for ground truth verification of what their um, AI models are telling them from their you know from their vision processing. You know, just to verify that the the distances that they're uh, estimating from the cameras are accurate, but you know they have they have done work with lidar and with radar um, internally, um, so it might not take as long. You know, depending on how much they've had going on, it might not actually take as long to deploy that. Um, but you know, Tesla is notoriously good at missing deadlines um, and projections from from uh, their CEO. Very true. All right. Uh, well, let's uh, let's go. Let's stick with EVs uh, for a bit. Um, this past couple of weeks, uh, there's actually been a lot of uh, EV news uh, coming out, um, and you know, it, it's increasingly is looking like 2022 is kind of the year when electric vehicles, uh, particularly in North America. I mean, we've already seen in Europe and and China. Uh, much more widespread adoption of EVs, um, but uh, this this could really be the year when EVs really start to, to get into more of the mainstream market. Um, we've there are a number of vehicles that have launched already this year, like the Hyundai Ionic Five, the Kia EV Six, um, and and there's still much more to come. Uh, but um, you know, this past uh, uh, just. A couple of days ago, uh, Ford officially um, had a celebration at their uh, Rouge Electric Vehicle Center, um, where they are building the F-150 Lightning to celebrate the launch of production. They've actually been building production vehicles for quite a few weeks. Uh, they've uh, the F-150 Lightning is their full-size electric pickup truck, uh, and they prior to the event earlier this week, they had already built nearly two thousand production vehicles. And uh, they're going to start deliveries uh, in the next few days as we speak, as we talk about this. Um, and uh, the, uh, they, uh, they, you know, they, they are sold out uh, through for <laughs> the next year at least. Uh, they've got firm orders in place you know, for at least the next year's worth of production. Um, at, the, at the event, Jim Farley, the CEO, uh, talked about, uh, you know, reiterated their uh, plans to expand production even further um, by the end of 2022, or sorry, by the end of 2023, Ford uh, plans to have uh, production capacity for 600,000 EVs a year. Um, and uh, by 2026, uh, that number should be up to 2 million EVs a year. 
so they're really moving aggressively. But the the fact that they're launching the F-150 now, the, the F-Series has been the top-selling vehicle of any nameplate in uh, North America for over 40 years. Uh, and uh, Ford, uh, you know, tip prior to the, the chip crisis, you know, they were selling uh, close to 900,000 of these trucks every year. Um, and the, the Chevrolet and, and, or the GM and, and Ram pickup trucks, um, also round out the, the, the top five, you know, they are two of the other, uh, top five selling vehicles in North America, uh, and they're all launching electric trucks. So the, 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 uh, the interest in, um, the truck market going electric, you know, is really, I think, uh, probably the biggest sign sign yet that we've seen of, EVs um, really going mainstream in North America. Uh, next year, GM is launching the Chevy Silverado EV. Uh, during their earnings call earlier this week, uh, GM CEO Mary Barra uh, reiterated that uh, they plan to, uh, GM plans to sell uh, 400,000, or uh, let's see, no, um, yeah, 400,000 EVs uh, between this year and next year. By the end, by the end of 2023, they want to have 400,000 EVs built and sold um, and be at a million volume, uh, annual volume uh, by 2025. Um, and uh, uh, Ram uh, has also been releasing additional teasers of the, the Ram 1500 EV, which is going to be uh, revealed later this year. Uh, and on top of that, you know, we've also got a, a whole slew of other EVs coming from virtually every major automaker. We've seen uh, the, re- the reveal of the BMW i7 uh, last week. Uh, Lincoln showed a concept of uh, the, the new design direction for their EVs uh, last week in Los Angeles. Um, Brightdrop, uh, which is GM's uh, commercial EV business unit, um, last week uh, announced that they had um, – done a 260 mile drive with the bright drop uh, zevo 600 which is their their new electric delivery van from new york to washington dc uh, on a single charge uh, and these these electric delivery vans uh, the commercial sector is going to be a, a also another huge market for evs uh in the next few years um as those commercial customers recognize the the benefits in terms of lower operating costs uh, from going electric, uh, Bright Drop has already delivered uh, uh, several dozen of those vans to FedEx in California, um, and uh, they've got uh, a number of other customers for those as well. Ford has been delivering the e-transit to uh, quite a few customers over the last couple of months. So there's we're seeing EVs um, creep out into all all segments of the uh, the automotive space in North America. Uh, right now. And I think it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch um, to see if these manufacturers, many of whom are targeting having 50% BEV sales by the end of the decade. You know, that's quite a bit more than our own uh, forecasts. Um, and it's, it's going to be a challenge for everybody to, uh, especially to get enough materials to build the batteries for all of these things. Um, any, any thoughts? Yeah, Sam, I, I guess you alluded to this about uh, the commercial market specifically getting getting into EVs right now. And I wonder if if that's part of uh, or if if maybe you have some context as to 
how the commercial market is is spurring interest in the Ford Lightning. Um, you know, if they have if they're a bulk of of the pre-orders and and that bulk is uh, is associated with that total cost of ownership analysis that commercial segments are more um, either just uh, sensitive to than the individual market. Yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting one. Um, you know, at by the end of uh, December, when Ford officially uh, stopped taking pre-orders for the Lightning and started converting those to to real uh, customer orders, uh, you know, taking the actual uh, de- deposits for customer vehicles and, and getting them configured. Uh, at that time, they announced that they had about two hundred thousand consumer orders for the Lightning, uh, and that did not include their fleet orders. They did not disclose how many fleet orders they've, they've received. But um, a, an interesting um, aspect of this, typically when an automaker launches a new model, they usually start with production of the, um, the higher-end trim levels first. And then over the course of a few weeks or months, start releasing the mid and lower trim levels, the cheaper versions. You know, they want to get the, the highest margins out, the, the highest margin vehicles out the door first. Interestingly, um, the first Lightnings that Ford is delivering are the base Lightning Pro. Um, you know, some of which are going to commercial customers, some are going to consumers that have ordered, you know, consumers can order the Lightning Pro as well. Um, and so that's the entry level one. They're actually starting with deliveries of that. And then over the next several weeks, uh, starting to deliver the lariats and limiteds and platinums. Um, and, uh, similarly, uh, Chevrolet has announced that when they launched that, when they launched the Silverado EV next year, they will be starting with the Silverado work truck in, uh, the first quarter of 2023 and not delivering consumer vehicles until the fall, uh, of next year. Uh, so clearly there, there seems to be a, a lot of interest, um, in this, um, you know, the, the, from talking to various people at the, at the manufacturers, you know, for, for commercial users, you know, oftentimes these trucks and these vans are used in urban or suburban environments. Uh, they're usually carrying a significant payload, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, a delivery van or, uh, you know, plumbers, uh, electricians, carpenters, you know, that are u- using these, they're carrying parts and tools around. Um, they're often operating low speeds, often, uh, you know, stop and go conditions, which are the worst case scenario for gasoline or diesel versions of these trucks and vans. Uh, I know myself, you know, having, having tried out, um, you know, the Ford Transit, which is their, their full size van. Um, a gas engine version of that. Uh, when I, the last time I helped my uh, my daughter move, uh, that was uh, I got about uh, twelve miles per gallon with that, um, and uh, you know that can those costs can add up really fast. You know when you when you're using vans like that for you know um, you know fifty, sixty, seventy thousand miles a year um, for you know for to provide service to customers. Um, those operating costs add up a lot. And if you can go electric, um, you know, those, those are also the ideal use cases for electric, relatively low speeds, stop and go. So you get a lot of regenerative braking. Uh, you can maximize the range with that. Um, you know, GM, uh, with the, the bright drop van that they, they demonstrated, it can go 260 miles on a charge. 
the uh, the transit the e transit has a smaller battery, so it's only rated for about 127 miles. Uh, but it's it's a it's a use case um, that I think makes a lot of sense for those customers. Yeah, and given the current oil price environment, uh, it seems like this is the opportune time to adopt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think from, from my perspective, I always think it's very interesting how these these big, or these full-sized uh, pickup trucks, there's a big proportion of, of, uh, of usages for personal use. So a lot of people just have it as their personal vehicle, not just for commercial uh, purposes. Um, and yeah, it's interesting you mentioned getting real-world uh, MPGs uh, uh, pretty pretty low. So I'm, I'm, um, and obviously gas prices are very different in the US compared with the UK or Europe. But uh, it, it sounds like a phenomenal running cost um, having such a big pickup truck. Um, and especially if you know you, you're driving around town, I don't know, going to the, to the supermarket and uh, things like this. It's yeah, certainly an, an electric drivetrain would be a big selling point. I could imagine. It, it adds up very fast. You know, a lot of these trucks have, you know, 32, 36 gallon fuel tanks. And, you know, <laughs> if you have to fill that up at, you know, four or five, six dollars a gallon in California, um, you know, that that adds up really quickly. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, this is this is why we're seeing so much interest in these uh, in these trucks. You know, one of the other during the, the GM earnings call, one of the things that uh, that Mary Barra also mentioned uh, was that they already have 140,000 pre-orders for the Silverado EV. Um, so, you know, they're, they're on a similar pace to what uh, Ford was getting with the, uh, with the F-150 Lightning. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, wh- one of the, one of the challenges, one of the interesting challenges I think is going to be as they, um, you know, one of the, the big use cases, especially for personal use uh, is towing with these trucks. I know, you know, here in Michigan where I live, um, if you go up I-75 or US-23 on, you know, any Friday or Sunday, um, pretty much all year round, you know, in, this, in the wintertime, you'll see trucks and SUVs towing snowmobiles up north, up to northern Michigan uh, for a weekend of recreation. In the summertime, they're towing boats and, and jet skis. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to go to the northern part of the lower peninsula of Michigan from the metro Detroit area, it's about a 250-mile drive. Um, and what's going to be fascinating to see is, um, you know, how these trucks hold up under those kinds of use cases. You know, they certainly have more than enough torque to tow. They can, you know, the, the Lightning can tow 10,000 pounds. Uh, but um, when you're towing, you lose a lot of range. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if Electrify America and, and other charging providers uh, have to uh, quickly start to expand the facilities they have kind of in the middle part of the state, you know, uh, about 120 to miles or so um, north of the, the metro Detroit area uh, to enable these trucks to um, get all the way up to northern Michigan, um, you know, on, in one trip. Uh, I know I've, I've used a couple of the EA charge stations in uh, in Bay City and Cadillac, Michigan, in the middle part of the state. And right now they they have uh, I think six chargers at those. And uh, mm-hmm. I think by by next by next winter, you know, or later this summer, when a lot of these trucks are on the road, I think there's going to be a lot more demand for those chargers um, as as people are towing their gear up north and and back again on Sunday afternoons. 
Yeah. yeah do, you that, that, sorry, do you know what that percentage ahead. changes in the uh, range if it's uh, towing versus empty? It it depends a lot on um, on the weight of what you're towing and also the aerodynamics of what you're towing, how much drag aero drag there is. Uh, but in general, um, you know, most of the tests that I've seen done with towing with uh, with electric trucks, um, it's usually somewhere around forty to fifty percent reduction in range. Uh, so you're looking it, as a rule of thumb. I think you know, if you assume you know a half or a little more than half of your norm, your nominal range when you're towing uh, is 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 probably in the right ballpark. Um, it, with you know a more aerodynamic tra- trailer, the impact might not be quite as bad, um, but it's it's still it's still going to be a big challenge for everybody. Yeah, same, yeah the, especially uh, in winter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Sam, the towing um, uh, use case raises a couple of questions, and I wonder if you um, have some local insights on Electrify America's deployment uh, in in Michigan, you know, the example you're using. Because uh, to date, a lot of the charging infrastructure deployments have been at spots where you pull in um, and not where you pull through. And mm-hmm. imagining a truck towing a boat or whatever it's not going to be able to use those pull-in spots. It's going to have to use pull-through spots. So my assumption is that a lot of the infrastructure that's already deployed is is not going to be able to use to satisfy that case. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, I've I've used uh, four different EA stations here in Michigan uh, over the last couple of years, or last year and a half, um, and all of them are like pull in, you know, where you back into a parking spot or pull into a parking spot, uh, depending on where your charge port is. Um, and it, they're not, they're not really set up for vehicles with trailers. Um, last summer when I was heading up North with a Mustang Mach-E, um, the, the station in Cadillac, Michigan, uh, right next to the EA chargers, there were Tesla superchargers and there was somebody there with a, uh, a model X and a trailer. And, uh, the, the, the um, the chargers are set up on a curb um, uh, at, at a curb next to an access road into the parking lot, and so this Tesla owner actually pulled up behind uh, and uh, to plug in. So they they weren't blocking the the spots, the other spots. They were they were behind the chargers, and they just pulled the cord around to plug it in to their vehicle. Uh, and I've seen others do similar things. Uh, I know some friends of mine that are done towing with with EVs. They've ended up having to unhook the trailer, um, before they could charge it, which is a real pain. Um, when, uh, when I first, uh, got a briefing on the lightning last year, I reached out to electrify America afterwards. Um, and they actually have configured uh, a number of their stations with pull through, uh, charging bays. Uh, so it's, it's set up more like a traditional gas station. Um, and they told me at the time that about 8% of their uh, charging locations uh, were configured, had uh, chargers that were configured for pull through as opposed to pull in. And um, they, they plan to increase that number going forward. They recently uh, released uh, some renderings of their, their next generation uh, flagship stations. So they're, they're starting to deploy stations that are more like, uh, you know, the highway rest stops that you often see uh, where you have a whole bunch of, fueling pumps, uh, and, uh, 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 you know, like a restaurant, uh, and, 
other things, you know, where you can stop and, and take a route and take a break, uh, while you're, um, you know, while you're on the road. And, um, that was the sort of thing that they're planning. And so they're going to start deploying more of those. And I expect, I expect we'll probably see at least one or two of those here in Michigan, uh, and in places like Wisconsin and, and Minnesota and other, other locations where, uh, there's a lot of recreational activity with, uh, you, that utilize these larger vehicles and often involve towing, um, having, we'll probably see a lot of those deployed over the next year or two. Sounds like something zip zip charge could address with their battery packs. Make them a um, that w- it would help. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you'd need quite a few of those battery packs. Um, you know, like the, the lightning, you know, the extended range version of the lightning is a 130 kilowatt hour battery. And those battery packs look like they're at best, maybe three or four kilowatt hours. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a little, you know, you, you'd be constantly shuffling back and forth from the, uh, from the hub with the battery, you know, swapping out for the next one, uh, to, to do that. So it probably wouldn't be very practical for that use case. Uh, Maybe it could work uh, out though. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and as an, as an example, um, the GMC Hummer EV, uh, which is now being delivered, um, and the Silverado, which is using the same platform, the, the, that the battery pack in that thing, um, has 212 kilowatt hours of usable capacity and about 247 kilowatt hours total. Uh, so fully charging that thing using zip charge, um, would (laughs) probably take you most of a day, if not two. (laughs) All right. Uh, any last thoughts? All right. Well, then let's wrap it up for this week and uh, we'll talk to you all again in two weeks. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. See you.